1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church.
2: A husband is called by God. He has been raised up for such a time as this. And in this text that we're studying, he's called to lead his family. You're saying, well, you know, you've said it implicitly. Back up to verse 23. In verse 23 it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself the Savior. God has called a man, he has required a man,
0: the chain of the past, you've broken into all the fear of the lies. We're singing the truth that nothing is impossible with you. Oh, is impossible.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Grace to Live radio broadcast with Keith Crosby. Senior Pastor here at Hillside Church in San Jose, California. We are so blessed that you've chosen to spend time with us on the program today. And as always, we would like to encourage you to follow along with us in your Bibles if you can. On today's broadcast, Pastor Keith continues with his Family Matters teaching series. So if you have your Bibles, please follow along with us as we hear Part 3 of Pastor Keith's message, It Takes a Good Husband.
2: That's what it means to be a learner. We see this also in 1 Peter 3, 7. Now, I'm going to plumb the depths of 1 Peter 3, 7 another time. But basically, it says this, Likewise, husband, live with your wives in an understanding way. Right there, understanding a way in some translations is according to knowledge. And the word there, there are a couple of words that could have been used in the Greek. There's theoretical book learning knowledge, and there's experiential knowledge. The school of hard knocks, and I'm not calling marriage the school of hard knocks, but it is a crucible Through which we are sanctified. And there's uh, the book learning kind of knowledge. And this is experiential knowledge. You understand what makes your wife tick. And then after that, at the end of the verse, it says, so that your prayers may not be hindered. You've heard of the first commandment with a promise, you know, and, you know, uh, children, you know, honor your father and mother that may go well with you in the land. This is the first commandment with a threat, okay? Because if you do not live with your wives in an understanding way, your prayers will be hindered. Why? Well, we have two types of relationships in this life. We have vertical with God and horizontal with people. And if your horizontal relationship with people is messed up, you can bet your relationship with God is going to suffer. And if your relationship with God is messed up, you can bet your relationship with people are going to suffer. And what's going on here is this. You cannot be right with God and not right with your wife. Now, some ladies will say, see, you, you know, they'll make unrealistic demands and threaten you with this verse, and you'll make unrealistic demands and threaten them with this verse. But that's not what it's about, guys. It's about understanding your wife, knowing her strengths and her weaknesses, her hopes and her fears, her dreams, her aspirations, her gifts, and helping her to deploy those abilities in the home, in the workplace if necessary, and in the church. It's a command. It's not an option. You know, we hear a lot today about, you know, and particularly in different circles in our professional realm, I know I used to hear about it years ago when I was in the business world, about being a lifelong learner. That's what's going on here. You are a lover, and because you love her sacrificially, you are a lifelong learner. And the thing about this is, is this, and I talked about this last week, I know a lot of you were away at men's retreats, so that's why we're reviewing it today, spaced repetition over time, don't you know? And no one gets away unscathed, so I wanted to come back and review some of this today, but we understand that most of us would take a bullet for our wives. We would step out in front of a tra- freight train and push them out of the way. There's almost nothing that we wouldn't do for our wives. That's the big sacrificial, right? That's sacrificial love. That's the, ler- the lover. But the learner is, 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 in a scale of life and death anyway, a smaller sacrifice. You see, most of us Most of us men, most of us human beings, men and women are human beings, we'll we'll do the big stuff. We'll throw the Hail Mary Harry pass for the touchdown at the end of the game, or we'll shoot on goal at the center line as opposed to getting inside the penalty area at the end of a game. We'll do the big play. We'll do the big deal. But there's a a poem, and I didn't write it, but I'll do my best to recite it, Call this Poetry Hour by Keith Crosby. All the good words and all the good wishes don't mean a whole lot if you won't do the dishes, okay? (laughs) Right, you know, (laughs) and the point is this, guys, they don't care about the big sacrifices if they're only theoretical, but they do care, they do care that you care, you know, they do care that you'll love them in little ways, not just the big ways. And part of being a learner is understanding what makes them tick, what makes them happy, what makes them feel safe, what makes them feel appreciated, understood, protected respected that's what it means to be a lover and a learner that's what it means it's critical these are essentials you cannot function as a good husband without being a good lover and a good learner so that's review that's review now remember guys if you're wondering how to go about that out there on those tables out there is a questionnaire called 50 questions to ask your wife uh, I gave you 54 because I'm, I'm generous. And what I would like you to do is to take those questions over the next three or four or five weeks and just take some time and interview your wives. You know, you think about if you're going to sit down with the most important person in the world, the governor, the mayor, the president, whoever, who's more important than your wife? And I can tell you, I've done this questionnaire a few times over the last 25, 26 years. And the answers change over time because people change. And if you're operating with the same set of assumptions you operated with the first five years of your marriage, you've remembered everything but learned nothing. So lover and a learner, that's what God calls us to here, which brings us to the third essential of a good husband. And this is the controversial one because the culture hates it, men hate it, and women hate it, okay? So there's almost total unanimity in the dislike of this next one. But that shows you how far the world has fallen since the garden. Number three, last and not least, to make a good husband, to make a good marriage, to make a good family, good church, good civilization, a good husband is a good leader. A good husband is a good leader. He is the leader in the home, just as Christ is the leader of the church. He's the head in the home, just as Christ is the head of the church. And here's an area where we really tend to challenge modern sensibilities and today's cultural norms. And as we've worked through this passage so far, if you look closely with both eyes open and your heart and mind open to God, you'll see it implicit in the text. And in the larger context, it's explicit in the text. For instance, in verse 25, Husbands are to love their wives sacrificially, benefiting them through righteous words, actions, and deeds. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Right there implicit in the text is leadership they are to care for their wives as their own bodies right in the same way husbands lo- should love their wives as their own bodies he who loves his wife loves himself they are to help them in, a, in an understanding way grow and grow spiritually they are this is a great responsibility this is a picture of christ and the church A man sets the example by leaving, it's on the next slide, by leaving his father and mother and being joined to his wife and the two become one flesh. These things are all initiated by the man. And finally, uh, a man is to love his wife and the wife is to see to it that she respects her husband. Where is leadership in all this? Implicitly, it's right in this concept. Great responsibility requires authority. All of you in the workplace will say, you know, they gave me all this responsibility, but they didn't give me the ability to carry it out. They didn't give me the authority to do this. It's the same way. God has given men great responsibility. It's a high, high calling. It's one that few do well. It's difficult, but not impossible. And responsibilities like these require authority. Now, the problem is, many men are what we would call theological couch potatoes, okay? They would rather the wife take responsibility. They'd rather her take the lead in the caring for children. They'd rather her take the lead in everything else. You name it, they, they'd rather have that happen because you know what? They're just so tired after work or whatever. But the bottom line is we have less work today than in all of history. None of us are involved in subsistence agriculture. None of us work from sunup to sundown. I, mean, I mean, you say, well, we're in the tech industry. Yeah, you are, but you have more leisure time than anybody throughout all of history. And leadership means tackling the responsibilities that God has given us and not being proselytized or evangelized by the culture, guys. And you look at verses like this, and I know there are many, many objections because we hear about tyranny and cavemen husbands and passive husbands and oppression and slavery, all these good cultural buzzwords. But know this, Christian leadership is not a tyranny. It's a stewardship. It's a high calling. It's a loving leadership. It's a learning leadership. It's leadership like that of Jesus Christ. And in our culture, in our churches, in our homes, and in the media, even in governing authorities, this is where the trouble starts because men are portrayed. I remember, I mean, you may remember the, the Verizon commercial years ago that was pulled immediately because it showed this stupid husband trying to help his infinitely more wiser 8-year-old daughter with a school project, and he's relegated by his omnipotent and all-knowing wife to go wash the dog. They had to pull that commercial, rightly so, because people took offense. A husband is called by God. He has been raised up for such a time as this. And in this text that we're studying, he's called to lead his family. You're saying, well, you know, you've said it implicitly. Back up to verse 23. In verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and himself the Savior. God has called a man, he has required a man, to lead his home. Not as a tyrant, nothing like that. He is, to, he is to lead her sacrificially. He is to lead her intelligently. And he is to lead her. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now a lot of people hate this verse, I get it. Our culture reacts almost viscerally against it. And many men squander the opportunity to be christ to the family they're either a distant faraway, abstract male figure or they're a caveman sometimes but the reality is men aren't called to be passive leaders they're called to actively love to actively learn and to actively lead i'm reminded that lover leader lover learner and leader husband is to sacrifice for his wife that those are that's a verb right? He's to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He's to love his wife as he would his own body. He's to live with his wife in an understanding way. These are action verbs. These aren't passive. And this is what we're required. God requires it. God expects it. It's an act of worship on the part of the man and on the part of the woman. And just as the church follows Christ, the wife in God's economy is to follow the husband. That doesn't mean a resignation of her intellect or abilities or gifts. But some of us are old enough to remember the uh, great, great movie, Dr. Doolittle. Not with Eddie Murphy. I think it was, it was Rex Harrison. And in there is an animal called a push-me-pull-you. Remember that animal? It's a two-headed beast. If you see a two-headed beast, you probably want to catch it and put it on display in a circus or in a museum because it's a freak of nature. And God has, desi- has designed marriage the way he's designed the church. And here's the problem. This is what is explicitly taught in the scriptures. And I'm not b- being naive. I understand that this is hard to listen to. But a husband is called to be a shepherd. And shepherds have to lead because they are responsible for great care of the flock. Not just the wife, but the kids. God holds them overall responsible for the care of the family. And shepherds lead the flock in the path of righteousness for the sake of God's name. They lead the flock By the still and safe waters, they cause them to lie down and rest. I'm reminded of the picture of a good shepherd in John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Here's a picture of a good shepherd. Here's a picture of a good husband. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, he who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. There is another picture of a lover, a learner, and a leader. I know my own. I know my sheep. There's a picture of a sacrificial shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. You know, we live in a world where marriage is in decline. People just shack up. But you know what? Without that commitment, many times we have a couple of hirelings here, and when the going gets tough, the tough get going usually out the door. But this is a picture of God's economy. A good lover doesn't flee because he cares too much. A good learner doesn't flee because he understands his role. And that God has entrusted him with a stewardship, a a, a care for a family, for a woman, for his one flesh. And he is to take the lead and set the example in forming this relationship which is second only to his relationship with God. And that's why you read in Genesis 2.24, and that's why you read... In Ephesians 5.33, and that's why you read throughout the Bible, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, and he himself is its savior. Yes, he should take a bullet for her. Yes, he should step out in front of a choo-choo train for her. Yes, he should learn her and understand her and care for her and make her understand that out next to God, she is the most important individual in his life. And he needs to learn how to do that so that he can lead her. So that he can help her to maximize her gifts and abilities. So that he can protect her from doing too much. So that he cannot punt and leave it all to her. That's what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus affirms. That's what Moses teaches. Paul teaches, you know. That if he, uh, Genesis 2.24 passage shows up in the teachings of Jesus Christ in Matthew 19, 4 through 6. It shows up in the teachings of Paul in Ephesians five thirty three. It shows up in the Old Testament. It shows up in the New Testament because it is a timeless, timeless truth. And the challenge for us, for each and every one of us, is this. Are we willing to go wherever God takes us? Because that's the essence of Christianity. You realize that your wisdom and that your wit... That your abilities in and of themselves are insufficient to face and overcome, survive and thrive in the slings and arrows that this world will throw at you. That this culture will throw at you. That this fallen world serves up like a smorgasbord. And you turn away from being your own king and your own God. And you put your trust, your faith, your confidence in Jesus Christ as you surrender your will to his. And as you make him what he already is, as you acknowledge him for what he already is, your Lord, your God, your Savior, the lover and shepherd of your souls. That's what being a Christian is. It's being all in with Jesus. At the men's retreat, I gave this challenge, and I would give it to everybody here today. Can you pray this prayer? People say, Jesus, come into my heart. This No, not this prayer. Can you pray this prayer? Lord Jesus, take my life and do to me and with me. Whatever you want to. Destroy my independence. Destroy my health. Destroy my bank account. Destroy my reputation. And in so doing, exalt yourself through me, in me, and by me. Bring glory to yourself through my destruction and your elevation in my life. Amen. You want a sinner's prayer? That's a sinner's prayer. Because if you're unwilling and unable to do that, you don't trust him. Because he knows best. And that's a stark stark thing. We always particularly in these days of health wealth and prosperity make me rich make me good looking give me a head of hair make me likable make me famous. No. Your will, Father, not my will. There's your sinner's prayer. Do with me what you will. Take me where you want me to go. Just make me your child and save me and use me to bring glory to yourself and the lives of others. That's that's a prayer for men and women. That's a prayer I want you to think about as we think about application. And I just want to say to you, men, you're like, you know, I've messed this all up. It's, it's hard. I don't have any credibility in my family anymore. Never had any to start with. God can do anything. If Jesus can raise Lazarus from the dead, if Moses can part the Red Sea, if God can raise his son up from the tomb, if he can take a dead heart and make it alive in Christ, he can fix all that. You just got to want him to. You've got to make him the God of your life. And that's something most people most professing Christians are unwilling to do and think about it ladies let me ask you a question if you knew that your husband loved you more than anything else on God's green earth and more than anyone else on God's green earth even more than those kids and if you knew and if you knew that he wanted to understand you that he wanted to care for you that he wanted to support you that he wanted to encourage you that he wanted to protect you more than even himself Would you be more inclined or less inclined to follow his leadership? This is time for audience participation, okay? Guys, there's the challenge. And men, are you willing to think about what I've said today? To look into God's word? If I've said anything that isn't there, you tell me. Keith at hillside.org. If I've given you any principles that cannot be distilled from the word of God, let me know. But if I have given you principles from the word of God. I want to encourage you to make these three traits, that these three practices, three actions that you will take day in and day out from now until Christ returns or takes you home. Are you willing to do that? Okay, good. This is tough stuff, but this is life and death. Do you look at the culture we're in right now, stuff is messed up. Things happen beyond the pale of anything we could have anticipated in the past. And God has given us men... Wives and children to care for, children and grandchildren. And the question is, are we willing to love him enough to love them enough? That's the question. What can you do? A couple of things. I went over this last week. I've got some books, uh, a couple of books you could read, starting in simple, the most complex. The Christian Husband by Bob Lapine, formerly of Family Life Today. I think now he's involved in Alistair Begg's ministry. The Complete Husband by Lou Priolo, one of the best biblical counselors I've ever seen from, heard from, or met. The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. And this one here is the hardest of the three, but it is the most comprehensive. Uh, Read it with a box of Kleenex because you'll be crying when he's done with you, okay? Keep going, there's some more resources here. Reforming Marriage by Doug Wilson. How to Act Right When Your Spouse Acts Wrong. 50 Questions to Ask Your Wife in the Lobby. And in 2018, we're going to have electives on marriage, child-raising, facing hardship because we want to take some of the things we started at at, at men's retreat and we want to just not feel good about it but we want to make it alive in our lives and our marriages and some some of the things we're going to be talking about ladies in the weeks to come and men and women in terms of raising kids and families all of that will give you an opportunity to develop and apply the skills that God has made available to you through his word and by his spirit now in the meantime. Let me encourage you not to discourage one another. Men, don't discourage your wife by going, I can't do that. And ladies, don't discourage your husbands by saying, go ahead and try. You'll fail like you always did. I, know, I like to believe better of you than that. And if they decide to do interview you with 50 questions to ask your wife, and they ask you a question you think they should know the answer to, don't say, well, don't you know? Because what makes you more angry, ladies, that when your husband finishes a sentence for you and gets it wrong anyway, right? Okay? So, with that, I just want to encourage you. Great days are ahead for you and your family. Great days are ahead for our church and the church of Jesus Christ worldwide because the world now more than ever needs a Savior and needs an example. The world knows that it's got it wrong, may not want to admit it, and it's looking for truth. And we have it right here in the pages of the Scripture, and we can preach it not just with our lips, but with our lives in the home, in the workplace. And in the whole community, Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word is true. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you give us the good news so that we can avoid being subject to the bad news. And the good news is that you sent your son to die for our sin so that we would turn to him and trust in his resurrection power, power over death, sin, and hell, that our lives can be changed from the inside out if we surrender. Lord, help us to surrender once and always for salvation, Lord, we know that once saved, always saved. And help us surrender daily, Lord, as we resist the temptation and the proselytization of this world. And as we pour our lives into our families, into our friends and neighbors, Lord, help us to have the right priorities as husbands and wives. Help us, Lord, these things by your spirit, through your word, encouraged by your church. We ask these things humbly and undeservedly. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Pastor Keith Crosby of Hillside Church. We so very much want to thank you for taking the time to join us today to study God's Word. And it's important that we let you know that we feel so blessed that you join us here each day on the program. Please remember, Pastor Keith and the staff here at Hillside Church would love to hear from you. So please take a moment to drop us a line or shoot us an email to let us know how we can be praying for you. Here's how you can contact us. The church mailing address is 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose, California, 95136. The church office telephone line is area code 408-269-4782. And you can also visit our website at hillside.org where you can find out more information about Pastor Keith, view our calendar of upcoming events here at Hillside, and also get information on our service times if you're close to the San Jose area, we would love for you to join us for worship. We are now offering two Sunday morning services here at Hillside Church. The first beginning at 9 a.m. and the second starting at 1045 a.m. And we'll be continuing with our Spanish language service at 1 p.m. every Sunday afternoon as well. Remember, if you need more information on this or anything else happening here at Hillside Church, just visit our website at hillside.org. Well, we hope you'll join us again next Sunday at this same time as we continue with our Family Matters teaching series. But until then, I'm your host, Kevin Reeves, and on behalf of Pastor Keith and everyone here at Hillside Church, may the Lord richly bless you and thanks for listening.